Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, <clears throat> I decided today to base my entire scripture off an image that was going to be on that screen. <laughs> so, if you have a phone, awakenwest7th.com, halfway down on the, on the homepage, there's a little, uh, little link there, Nunc Dimittis, and you can look at the image there while we, while we walk through this. Um, <laughs> it's just comical, isn't it? <clears throat> I got a text this morning um, from Sarah downstairs. She's like, we can't find, the lights don't work in the basement. Um, which, if you, there's a secret at Awaken, and that's where the light switches are for the basement. And they are in a closet next, like, by the bathroom, by a control panel. And no one can ever find them. So, but now you know, in case you're looking for them. Um, so, the lights work. But now you have an image, so let's, let's, let's look at this. Um, this is a, uh, a painting, an icon that was uh, painted in the 13th and 14th century. It's actually anonymous. They don't know who did it. <clears throat> but it's a beautiful picture of the presentation of Jesus at the temple with Simeon and Anna there on your right, Mary and Joseph on your left. So a couple of observations and then just one nagging question that, that I, was, I sat with this week as I listened uh, or read this, this passage and, and prepared for this morning. So the first observation is related to the two dominant colors in the image, uh, and it's the idea of heaven and earth coming together. You'll notice there, um, Mary and Joseph are clothed in traditional colors of red and blue. So in iconography, red and blue uh, represent heaven and earth. Um, The artist is kind of showing that in Jesus' uh, coming, heaven and earth are being brought back together, and that salvation for the world is available. Um, Notice even that the red and blue spill out into the temple. So around the temple edges there, you've got red and blue again. Simeon says in verse 32 that the coming of Jesus has brought about a light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. A light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. What exactly does that mean? I think often when we think about help, and when it comes, we think about it coming for me, right? You don't really hear people saying like, help, help, my sworn enemy, Or help that person down the hall that I can't stand. Or help whoever. It's usually help me or help my family or help my situation or help my my people. And that's normal human behavior. That when we want help, when we cry out for help, uh, we we think about ourselves. It's the ego at work. It's self-preservation. And we do it. And the ancients did it as well. Often in the scriptures, when you look at the story of Israel throughout the Bible as as the story is told, there's this sense in which Israel sometimes forgets uh, that the blessing given to Abraham was for the entire world. I will bless you, Abram, and your family so that, right? The blessing doesn't just come for Abraham and for his family or for Israel, but it's like something else is happening, that the whole world would be blessed through this thing. Simeon, in this story, is on the train that's leaving the station with Jesus because, yes, Israel was chosen by God to be the vehicle of the blessing, but it's not where the destination is. It's not where the train was headed, right? It was this group of people through which something would happen in the world, and that something would be blessing, it would be healing, it would be restoration, but it wouldn't just be for them. It was bigger than them. It was for the whole world. 
Simeon's wrapped his head around this, this truth that lies at the center of the Old Testament story, which is that when Israel's vocation, when their job, when their invitation was lived into and lived out fully, then and only then a light would dawn. Not just on Israel, but on the whole cosmos, on the whole world. So when you read Isaiah chapter 9 and it says, those who have been walking in darkness, who, have seen, who are in distress, have seen a great light, it's not just for this one group of people, but it's actually for everybody. Everybody's included. God's coming is for your sworn enemy. God's healing and hope is for the person that you can't stand. The person that you have the most struggle with. The group of people that you've struggled with. God's hope and healing and restoration is for them. It's for you. It's for all of us. But it's for them. And this would be the glory of Israel. That they would be the vehicle through which blessing would come. A lot like Mary's song last week that Jenna talked about. That through Mary, this gift would come into the world. And she would be a vehicle through which hope and healing and light would come. Notice even in the painting, Jesus' posture, he's looking back at Simeon and Anna as he's sort of reaching for Mary, as if to say, like, Israel, don't stop here. Don't stop with your story, but come on into this open space that's between you, which actually is like the majority of the painting, this open space between Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph, as if Jesus is saying, this is where the whole thing is headed, this is where I'm headed, and I'm inviting you into that space as well, where heaven and earth come together and God's hopes and dreams for all of creation exists for everyone. The second observation I want to make in this is uh, around expectation. And I think when we come to Advent, we come to Christmas, this is always like front and center for me. Um, what do these people expect in this painting? What do you expect? What do we expect God to look like when God comes? How do we expect God to act when God acts? Who do we expect God to come to when God does show up? And again and again in the scriptures, if you're paying attention, God comes to, God arrives to the unexpected characters, right? The people that you wouldn't think would make the script or the story or the team, the tax collector, to name a few, the prostitute, the blind, the shepherd, the Syrian, the Roman, the outsider, the Samaritan, through a donkey, through a rock, a burning bush, a quail, a bird, through death and as a baby, Again and again, we see this. And notice that the offering, Mary, if you look really closely um, at Joseph on the far left of the painting, he has something in his hands, and it's something he's bringing to the temple, right? So if you go back to Leviticus chapter 12, we know that Mary, because she's given birth to a baby, is ceremonially unclean, which seems a little unfair. Ladies in the room, yeah? Like, are you kidding me? I want to offer maybe another pers perspective on ceremonially unclean. I think, in part, Mary has experienced something very powerful. Something of great meaning and of great value. And you would walk that out in a particular way if you were a Jewish woman. A way that would in include intention and process and steps. Almost a liturgy. The body has experienced something very profound and beautiful. And then they put in process, in place, a... Sort of journey back to the community in which you lived and worshipped and were a part of. So if birth is a very sacred and personal and intimate moment, there was a way by which you would walk back into community 
and worship. And part of that was bringing this gift of an offering. So the, uh, Leviticus 12 says that if you were, uh, have had a child, you would bring uh, like a, 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 a lamb or some kind of animal that you would sacrifice, as well as these two birds. And if you couldn't afford a lamb or an animal, you would bring just the birds. So what we see in this painting, what we know through the story that's confirmed later, is that Mary and Joseph were very poor. These were the lowest of the low, the, the least of the least. This is a teenage girl, unwed, who doesn't have enough means to even bring a sacrifice to the temple to come back into community. And so they bring the very minimum thing that they can bring. And I think if you think about Simeon and Anna as well in this story. So we have the young, poor couple, and then we have Simeon and Anna. Old and waiting to die, right? Like Simeon literally says, like, you can dismiss me now. I'm good. I'm going to die. So you have this old woman and this old man who are not in the prime of their lives. Anna, she can't give birth to any more children, uh, unless, of course, there's some miraculous event. She's not really useful in a home anymore. She's very old. And Simeon is at the end of his life. So for us in 2022, maybe there's a word here. What do we think about? How do we, uh, how do we relate to those who are older in our midst? You have two very unexpected characters in this story. A poor teenage couple and an elderly Simeon and Anna. And both of them, both of them receive a critical role in this story and offer critical words to us in the story. So when you think about God and God's activity and how God might show up and where God might be, as people who are developing the capacity to see and hear God, where are you looking? When you think and try to anticipate and imagine where God might be and what God might be saying and to whom, where are you looking for God to be present and active? What are you expecting? And I don't know about you, but expectations are an interesting thing, right? I affirm that this story is true. I think Jesus was real, and Simeon and Anna were there, and Mary and Joseph, and all these things happen. And yet, when Jesus comes, God, Jesus doesn't expel the Romans from Jerusalem. Like, they're still in captivity. They're still under oppression. In fact, it's Rome that pins Jesus to a cross. Uh, you could argue things get worse for Israel before they ever get better. And for most people who followed Jesus then, it didn't end well. Most of them were killed, martyred. So when you say yes to following the way of Jesus, like Mary and Joseph, like Simeon and Anna, what do you expect is going to happen? It's an important question for us to sit with, right? Because for many of us, we still get cancer. And our marriages still fall apart. And our kids maybe don't make the choices we wish they would have. Or we lose that job. Or, right, any number of things happen. And so when we expect God to be present in our lives, what do we expect that to look like? Do we imagine that God will heal everything and fix everything and change everything? That just isn't the way it works. And a lot of times people like me will stand in front of people like you and say, you got to pray harder. Because miracles do happen and people do get healed. And so if it's not happening to you, you just got to like apply yourself a little bit more. Or have a little bit more faith. And I'll just tell you that uh, I'm not going to say that. 
and I'm going to tell you that I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why when we expect God to do something, and we've seen God do something in the past, and we hope God will do something again in the future, and it seems that God doesn't do that thing. I don't know why. I don't have an answer for you. So if I could, I would take off this suit coat and this microphone, and I would just come and sit with you. Because that's real life. And yet, there's this tension, right? We can feel it in the room. Because it's happened. It's happened to me. I can tell stories of when and how. And you could, you could too. And so we sit in that tension of faith and hope. Trusting that even in the midst of whatever this scenario and situation may be, that there is a God, and this God arrives in Advent and does the things that they do. So Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, they have expectations, which lead to a last observation from this painting, and that is, um, what were they expecting? They were expecting the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon speaks about it. We didn't talk much about Anna, but she, she's there as well. <clears throat> and they're waiting. They've been in the temple, this place where people would come and, and worship and the scriptures would be read. In the painting, uh, Anna has something in her hand. It's a scroll of some kind, assuming it to be the scriptures that were read. Simeon is clothed and seems to be wrapping Jesus and like you can't separate Jesus from Israel's history. So what would it mean for God to return to Israel and console and redeem Jerusalem and Israel? What would it mean that God would become king again? And what would it mean that God would send another prophet like Moses to Israel? What would it mean that light would shine in the darkness? What Christmas reminds us of, what Advent reminds us of, what Simeon and Anna remind us of is that while God answers the suffering of Israel, it happens through incarnation. God doesn't make it go away, the suffering or the struggle or the oppression or the difficulty. God enters it. This is one of the most profound mysteries of the Christian story. Philippians chapter 2, it's called the, the incarnation of Jesus, where God becomes human. So rather than by wiping it away, by removing it, by taking it out of the picture, God enters into it. God doesn't defeat death uh, and brokenness by power or by might, but by solidarity, through solidarity and incarnation. So if you hear anything through the season of Advent, it's a, gi a giant cosmic me too. Like, I am with you. And there's one nagging question that I'll close with this morning as I was reading this text. It comes in verse 26. And it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon has been like, something has been revealed to this guy. He's heard from God. Uh, and we kind of read that and we pass by it because that happens to people in the Bible, right? They hear from God. They, they get a word from the Lord. They, you know, see a sign. Um, but can we pause for just a moment and uh, just talk about how imprecise any of this is in real life? 
Like when someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, do you immediately say, give it to me. I'm ready for it. I trust that that's happened to you and that you've got something, right? When someone says like, the Lord told me that, usually I think, yes, yes, let's hear it. I'm ready. I'm a little suspicious, right? As you are, as you should be. Because that, that idea, like, I've heard from the Lord. God told me that we should date. <laughs> right? Like, come on. <laughs> Let's just pause for a moment and talk about how awkward and odd and imprecise and how, how misappropriated this has been. I've heard from the Lord. This is the direction. Right? Can we also pause just for a moment and preserve the possibility that people hear from God? Can we pause for a moment and reserve the possibility that the Holy Spirit might actually reveal something to you? (laughs) And it is this weird space that Simeon, the star of the story, is in, where he has heard from the Lord. And it got me thinking about hearing and how we know. And I was sitting with Jenna this week at our favorite place to talk about the Bible, which is the pub called Skinner's down the street. And uh, she asked a great question that I had never even, I didn't even think about, which was, what does Simeon mean? I said, oh, that's a good question. So we looked it up on Google's. It's what all good theologians do. (laughs) Simeon means to hear. So this guy in the story who has heard from the Lord, his name means, comes from the root word Shema in Hebrew, Shema, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. His name means one who hears. And so I was sitting with a few questions that I want to leave you with this morning, almost uh, imagine me as your spiritual director today. And so I want to just offer you a few questions to think about as we close. What do you want to hear? Whether that's related to something in your life or from God, like what do you want to hear? If you could hear, what do you want to hear? What do you hope to hear? Which has this element of trust or faith. What do you hope to hear? This guy, Simeon, he's hearing from the divine until his dying day. Moses ends his life and it says that his eyes are unabated and he lacked no vigor. It was like all the way up to the end. He had this connection with God. Simeon hears until his dying day. What does it mean to hear to be that alive all the way to the end? What do you not want to hear? What do you hope nobody says? Or if you heard blank, like what would that mean to you? You're enough. Or you made a mistake and it's okay. You don't have cancer. I forgive you. If you heard 
fill in the blank. What would that mean to you? And one last question, like what would need to happen for you to be able to say, you can dismiss me in peace? Like, I'm full. I'm good. God, if like, you can dismiss me in peace. Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph. Heaven and earth coming together. What do we expect God to do and to be like when God arrives? And do we recognize that God's redemption and consolation of Jerusalem and of Israel and of this world and of your life and of you and me right here and right now may look a lot like what it did when it happened then, which isn't the removal of said struggle, but the incarnation of the divine in our midst, solidarity, witness, here and now. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we take just a few moments to think about these characters, Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, and this song that he sings. I pray that you're, by your spirit you might be with us in amidst and with these questions. What do we want to hear? What do we hope to hear? What do we not want to hear? So in the next few minutes, God, would you just... Um, Speak to us, maybe highlight, draw us, draw our attention to something, make something shimmer. God, we thank you for this season, for this day, this gift, where we could be together. We thank you for this community and all that it is and has been and will be because of your presence and, and our presence. And even in the midst of the lives that we actually are living, which include ups and downs and highs and lows, we hope, we trust to the degree that we can, we wait that you will do what you always do, what you have been doing, which is to be with us, to enter into, to be in solidarity with. And that in that presence, we'll find comfort and even joy, that sneaky thing that comes even in the midst of darkness and the struggle. And we would find you that we would find you in each other, in the world around us. And that together we might do the work of consolation, of redemption. So bring healing to us as we partner with you to bring healing to your world. Come thou long expected Jesus. Would you stand?
for a benediction this morning. To the church gathered at Awaken, receive these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.